0: For two years between 1896 and 1897, the skies of North America were invaded by a wave of airships. Some looked like UFOs as we know them today, while many more resembled futuristic dirigibles. Most were reported to be piloted by normal human beings, including a few men in black type characters, while others were inhabited by strange beings that could only be described as not of this earth. In addition to airships, there were otherworldly beings from guild spacemen and toga-clad aliens to what might be an early-day chupacabra. For listeners of last week's episode, you've already heard about the alleged airship crash in Aurora, Texas in 1897. But did you know that there were many more other alleged airship crashes in places like Kalamazoo, Michigan and Iowa Falls, Iowa? Did a Martian crash land in Lanark, Illinois? Was the dream of a little girl taken aboard a spacecraft by little men just a dream? Or was it the repressed memory of an alien abduction? What was the airship that one witness described as Noah's Ark returned to Earth? Did an Illinois storekeeper really manage to photograph an airship, and if so, where is the photo today? And finally, were the humanoid pilots of the airships inventors from the time period, aliens in disguise, or time travelers from the future just trying to blend in? Find out on today's episode of That Would Be Rad. Welcome back, friends and aliens, to another episode of your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. A podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We're your hosts, Woody Brown
1: and Tyler Bentz. Hey, welcome back.
0: Friend, you Welcome took a long time. back.
1: Yeah, man. Um, What's going on? Well, dude, I am super excited
0: about this week's episode because I kind of feel like last week, in a mm-hmm. way, we were kind of restricted. We're like, you guys we couldn't see us. We're basically recording a podcast episode with our hands tied behind our back. Mm-hmm. Because we wanted to talk about so much more, but we couldn't because we mm-hmm. wanted to save that for today's episode. So I'm super stoked because... Now we can finally talk about all the stuff that we wanted to about this. um, Well, you're going to hear us refer to it as this flap that occurred. Well, my throat was making a weird noise. just (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We refer to it as this flap that occurred in 1896 and 1897. Now, last week you defined what flap was. Previously on That Would Be Rad. Mm-hmm. what exactly is a flap
1: well i had a sprawling 10 minute version but i found a better uh, definition online that says a series of similar sightings in a small area over a short amount of time oh there you go there it is easy and now back to your regularly scheduled program <laughs> and then <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, we've got to put that to it to better use like I mean
0: I'm pretty sure a that, lot uh, I could be I could be I mean I could probably have a job just doing it previously on lost you know what I mean Man. yeah that's, this week that's on total Rico um, <laughs> <laughs> all right so now we know what a flap is boom so we are going to be talking about like the big picture here and everything that happened sort of beginning in 1896 and sort of ending in 1897 now I say sort of because as you'll see, Mm-hmm. things still happen outside of this time this is just kind of like the greatest concentration now we may have said this last week if not then i'm gonna say it now just so you can get an understanding of what we're talking about when we say a good a, like a large concentration of these events happening mm-hmm. so for about eight months that's when the highest concentration of this that's what when this flap kind of takes place thousands of people reported across north america Reporting things like mysterious lights in the sky, sometimes mm-hmm. even a full-blown aircraft, hundreds of sightings, sometimes even interactions with the beings, whether that's people or even mm-hmm. creatures, that were piloting Ocupans. these aircraft. Mm-hmm. Occupants, great word. Where would I be without you, pal? Mm-hmm. Thousands of witnesses. Okay, over 1,200 newspaper articles were published in about 408 different newspapers across 41 states in the U.S., And six Canadian provinces. Man. So we're talking about a lot of people seeing something during this time period.
1: Yeah, it really is bizarre because, uh, you know, I'm going to get into some context here in a second. But it's wild because of the time, the idea of, you know, airplanes and, and things being you know, aircraft or crafts being in the sky is a, uh, it, it's a pretty foreign sort of concept. So, you know, also what are you talking about? Ha, how many newspapers did you say? Uh, 408. Like, yeah, 408 newspapers. I mean, th- this is a time also where, you know, if, I mean, unless you're in like a big city, outside of the cities, I mean, you know, some places you would go miles and miles before you would even see your your you know next door neighbor. So, it's a very sort of sparse, spread out, you know, the country's still a wild country, as they say. And and so, not, spread. not a whole lot of people have telephones. Yeah, yeah. None of that. No, you know, obviously, no internet, no, no real sort of communication. And your news would come out either weekly, depending on the paper, or daily, you know, if it was a more heavily populated, you know, city that you were close to. But, you know, the idea of of thousands and thousands of accounts and sightings, is pretty amazing. I mean, it kind of went from zero to sixty real fast, especially mm-hmm. in that eight-month period. I mean, it, it's it's a truly fascinating thing. Oh yeah, man, it's it's crazy.
0: And I mean, like, it just really let's let's start out kind of thinking about this listener together on one sort of like. Here's the expectation: we know that with all these people seeing something that. As we'll kind of go through this, some have like similar characteristics, some mm-hmm. have, you know, similar sort of experiences that, regardless of whether or not it is other planetary or even other dimensional, mm-hmm. people are seeing stuff. Yeah, right? they're seeing something. I mean, well, they, one, well, go, go ahead, ahead, sorry. Go ahead, pal. I was just going to say one thing that when I first started, like, kind of reading about all this stuff, One of the things that I kind of wanted to know was, hey, well, what else was in the sky at the time? Because, like, I don't really have like a strong sort of foundational knowledge about the 1890s, right? Yeah, in in any category, much Mm -hmm. less like aviation. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so here's a little take it
0: away. (laughs) Jesus.
1: So here's a little a little context of of some of the, uh, I guess you could say somewhat sort of milestones of aviation around the time. So, obviously, you can go back to Da Vinci and the Ornithopter. Thanks, Clay, by the way, for the comment. That is one that I was going to bring up. But then, you know, jump to like the 1780s, 1770s, the idea of these manned spherical balloons, basically kind of like hot air balloons, I think, you know, super sort of primitive, you know, they would take off. It would take like 50 to 100 men, you know, just holding with, with ropes, <laughs> holding these things down. So Jules Verne mentions these in his uh, story, The Master of the World. But let's jump to 1849. Hold on. There's also a couple other areas in sort of quote-unquote
0: pop culture where people had learned about things like this. So you've got Jules Verne. What was the book you mentioned? Uh, Master of the World. Yeah. In in 1851, he released a book called A Voyage in a Balloon, mm. and then, of course, one that we all know around the world in eighty days, which is about that balloon mm-hmm. trip. And that was in 1873. Also, Edgar Allan Poe had a work or a uh, story called The Balloon Hoax, which was released in 1844.
1: So, wow, not just
0: are people sort of seeing hot air balloons and stuff like that, or thinking about balloons as a mode of transportation. It's kind of also in quote unquote pop culture at the time too in the literature at least
1: well and also i i think it's also you know which i think we did touch on this last episode they all kind of blend together but um you know an italian astronomer in 1888 announced evidence of seeing canals on mars so you know there was this somewhat i don't want to say science fiction because to me i think the beginning of true science fiction was like sort of well i don't know i mean because hg wells did you know wrote the time machine around this era so like I mean, I guess it would be sort of science fiction, but I think it's, it's, it's good to say that, like, even if, if we're thinking in terms of, like, dirigibles and blimps, I mean, we're talking, like, 10 miles an hour tops. Mm-hmm. Like, like these, aren't, these aren't remotely, you know, close to some of these sightings that, that the people were seeing in this flap of, like, you know, even if it's going 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour, I mean, this was, like, supersonic. Oh.
0: Oh, yeah. People. I mean,
1: like, the technological
0: difference is so similar in appearance, mm-hmm. but certainly, like, the things that are described as happening whenever these witnesses see it mm-hmm. are far from the capabilities of known right. crafts like right. this, right? Yeah. I mean, another thing, like, you mentioned, like, 50 people having to hold it with ropes. You're oh, not yeah. really sneaking around a town without people <laughs> seeing
1: that happen. You know, I mean, hell, half the towns, they're doing it. Right, right. They're the ones holding the rope. Yeah, exactly, and and we're talking about, I mean, a lot of the, th- this is the thing that I think is is important. Also, I know we keep kind of like jumping off track here, but you know, in providing context, I think it's important that like a lot of these sightings were from people that were in these super rural areas. You know, so w- if it is a hoax, if it is, you know, the skeptics immediately will go to, oh, it's a hoax. It's it's, you know, whatever, and and maybe that's the case. Maybe there were. You know, a lot of these cases were just people that were far advanced in their, you know, tech, wherever they were from. Maybe it was kind of a hoax. Maybe they were sort of trolling the, the rural, you know, common folk out in the country. But the idea that some of these were seen by, you know, there was a case where, you know, there were hundreds of people would see one. And, you know, all at the same time as the city to all the way to, you know, somebody being... 20 miles away from, like, the nearest city, seeing them from their front porch kind of thing. So uh, the idea that it was, like, a hoax, while possible, I don't think is is the sort of general consensus of what these things were. Yeah, I mean, especially at that,
0: I guess, frequency? Yeah, right. And, yeah. I mean, the one thing that we'll kind of, or that you'll kind of observe with us, listeners, that while some of the cases are very sort of cut and dry, hey, we saw something in the sky, mm-hmm. okay, that could easily... And potentially, maybe that is the solution here. Mm -hmm. It could have been an airship that, again, because they don't really have the correct amount of context or or whatever in terms of like being able to judge its airspeed and stuff from where they are observing it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they just got that wrong and it's an over-exaggeration and maybe it's just somebody flying an airship because they're testing it out. Yeah, sure. But there are other instances that we'll talk about where they're interacting with, either people that sort of explain certain things that nobody of that time would know necessarily or mm-hmm. taking interest in certain things or even descriptions of sort of beings being, oh, well, that's a lot of beings, um, <laughs> the occupants being sort of weird-looking or you know, even using descriptors like not of this world and that right. kind of thing.
1: Yeah, so, so let's get a little more context. So in 1849, a man by the name of Rufus Porter... He was the founder of Scientific America. Uh, He Mm -hmm. built a 700-foot prototype, a flying machine, that was destroyed by rowdy bystanders before it achieved lift, Uh, which they're like, (laughs) Mark of the base. (laughs) Exactly. He's got the mark. Witchcraft, tear it apart. Um, Rufus,
0: that's the guy's name in uh, Bill and Ted.
1: Ooh. Greetings, my excellent friend. Uh, In 1863, the inventor Solomon Andrews proposes an airship design, uh, which he called the Aerion. And on June 1st, flies an 80-foot version over Perth, New Jersey. Andrews appeared to, actually, Abraham Lincoln for the Aerions to be used by the Union Army, uh, which is pretty interesting, you know. And they responded with, oh, well, it's, you know, far too complex, too complicated to be mass-produced, which... Well, that's pretty interesting. 1864, Andrews demonstrates his Arion before the Smithsonian. So this guy's actually, he's able to demonstrate that this thing is actually capable of, of flight. And again, for context, Wilb, Wilbur and Orville Wright uh, in Kitty Hawk, Newt, North Carolina, you know, their first, they achieved uh, first successful airplane flight on December 17th, 1903. So you know, We're that's... Several, several years before that. Several years before, yeah. Uh, in 1869, a man by the name of Frederick Marriott founds the Aerial Steam Navigation Company, builds a 37-foot-long winged whale, which it was called by some. Its name was called the Avatar Hermes Jr. The demonstration is recognized as first American flight of a powered steerable craft, which I'm pretty sure what they say about the Wright brothers. Mm. So...
0: Yeah, I don't enough. remember
1: if it's fixed wing, if that makes it different. Maybe, you know, I don't know. yeah. It could be. This is one of my favorites, this character. Uh, In 1896, which, again, right at that time, uh, Dr. Charles Abbott Smith of San Francisco claimed he had designed a flying machine that could fly to New York in under 40 hours. That's a Mm. big leap. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a big deal. The enormous rocket-like craft was to be built out of aluminum with two insect-like, well, entirely built out of aluminum. Is, is, I should say, with two insect-like wings flapping above it. Supposedly Smith's inflatable metal craft never goes beyond the model stage. Hmm. What's interesting about this is in August 11th of 1896, Charles, A, you know, C.A. Smith, the same guy I was just talking about, his airship is patented. The interesting thing is during the flap, uh, one craft touchdown, and the pilot actually identified himself as being named Smith. So did Charles Abbott Smith actually fly after all? You know, in in researching this, I did find out that in 1896, when, when he patented his design, there was, it's also kind of, it was kind of on the down low, but he was receiving funding from the U.S. military, hmm. which is like, whoa, wait a second here. So maybe hmm. they did. Uh, well, it's really interesting because, as we'll see, there are a couple mentions
0: of A. Smith when yeah. people interacted. And the first thing I thought of was, hey, this isn't that far in terms of time period from this Aurora crash.
1: And what what was the uh, material that was recovered? Aluminum. Aluminum. Mm-hmm. And also, even going further with that, C.A. Smith was apparently found out that the records go back and you can see where he was spending Massive amounts of money on aluminum, mm. and you know if you look at it as like, well, the military—he was receiving military funding. Yeah, that explains it, like being able to kind cover of tie the cost. it all together. Yeah, because yeah. we talked about how expensive it was last time. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I, I think that kind of brings us up uh, somewhat, t- you know, to the time period of the flap. Yeah, in, in terms of technology, and, and what else was in the skies, or would have been mm-hmm. appropriately in the sky, mm-hmm.
0: was this year, or you know, series of months, sort of like. Not a space race, you know, right? but, you know, like a race to
1: see who's going to have the best. Yeah,
0: sky race, exactly.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, one thing, too, that just before you get started, there was also another man named John Ernst Worrell Keeley. And I would be remiss Mm -hmm. if I didn't Mm -hmm. include this guy. Uh, Born in 1827, died in 1898, so right around that era. But he was actually kind of, he developed the science of what he called sympathetic vibratory physics. And a lot of people thought he was sort of a con man, but he sort of died with the concept of saying that he 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 had created the technology to have a a craft that could fly with using uh, what's called ether technology. So back in the day, even even Einstein believed that there was you know in the ether was like which is similar to what we think of as uh, fiber optic. Dude, that's the word you Fiber were kind of Fiber of. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry to interrupt, dude. It just popped into my oh, head. Oh, like freaking... thank you, God. That's exactly what I was trying to think of. Yeah, okay. sorry. I don't guys. know how that relates to anything else that we're talking about, and or whatever. But keep going. it doesn't sorry. at all. But I look we can for cut that out, but... thirty. No, no, no. Don't cut it out. People need to need to see us in real real life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, but so this guy believed that. You know, I think we think of like dark matter or dark energy or whatever as it's kind of the same thing as like the ether. So a lot of people around this time were of the thought that, you know, I guess physics at the time was that some of this, the, these crafts or like an alternative energy could be powered by ether. So he believed that, you know, hmm. that he had that he had the, this craft that could be powered with this ether. He created the Keeley Motor in the 1860s. And then I think he was actually getting also getting funding from the government i know he was getting money from like these stockholders and he sort of had claimed that he could create this ship that was completely powered with like sound uh do you remember this remember us talking about this yeah Yeah. um and and it was like a control panel and that it could go up to 100 200 miles an hour which yeah again i don't think it was ever totally demonstrated to happen but i think it's i think it's a He's a really cool character. So if you're interested, to look into John Ernst, Worrell, Keeley. But yeah, carry on, Woody. Yeah, so
0: as we start to kind of get that context and, and understanding, you know, what is appropriately in the skies and kind of just like the initial sort of thought potentially for either a listener or just the people of the time was that, you know, this is just people flying these airships. And in some of the descriptions, it kind of seems that way. Like this one is a potential scenario where someone may have taken a photograph of these things Mm -hmm. and here's the the description After these messages we'll be right back At Evernorth Health Services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best, it's possible Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible Tyler, man, you know, there's one thing that got me through this COVID craziness. I got in the mail a couple of items from our merch store. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, man, this crew neck sweater is maybe one of the most comfortable things I've ever worn. The inside of it is like, I don't know how to explain it, man. I'm I'm never going to take this thing off. Wait a minute. We have sweaters? I mean, you know what I'm saying. Sweatshirts. This sweatshirt is the most comfortable thing I have ever put on. I also got this like really cool trucker cap that says B-Rad on it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think if people haven't already, they need to go check out our merchandise store. They can find it at shop.spreadshirt.com slash that would be rad. So again, that's shop.spreadshirt.com. That would be rad. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very
1: intense my 200 years, there have been reports of giant man like creatures from another dimension, another world. I don't know the most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You're listening to
0: That Would Be Red. This is uh, a guy named Mr. C.D. Lawrence. Okay, a lot he's of a his, lot of CDs, CAs, yeah, a lot of initials, man, mm-hmm. family names. Um, and He was known to be a view artist. I guess that might have been their old school way of calling them photographers, which is pretty cool. (laughs) At 5.15 this morning, I was awakened by someone who ran into the house, arousing my housemates with the explanation that a large balloon was hovering over Bering Cross just Mm. beyond the upper bridge. The house had an excellent view of that portion of the city where the mystery was seen. I hurried out and saw what at first appeared to be a very large balloon moving toward the south at a very rapid rate. It was coming head on, and I soon saw that it was not a balloon, but the airship about which we have so long been reading. It approached toward the river and then suddenly veered toward the east, after proceeding a short distance, turned northward, soon disappearing from sight after having been visible for about 15 minutes. I secured a negative while it appeared broadside toward the amazed observers. As you may see, a very good view was secured. The negative shows a large cylindrical body pointed at both ends like a cigar, apparently about 40 feet in length, although it was seen at such an altitude that no one could accurately judge of its dimensions. A car in which the navigators of the vessel resided depended from the buoyant body being a large box-like arrangement from which a
1: heavy anchor depended by means of a long rope. Well, so that's really interesting. And it also kind of ties into this. In uh, Rogers Park, Illinois, the April 12th, 1897 edition of the Chicago Times-Herald said, "Uh, Walter McCann of Rogers Park leaped into fame at a single bound yesterday. He has a photograph which shows an airship in the sky. He says he took it with his camera at 5.30 yesterday morning He shows two negatives. Three witnesses assert that they also saw him take the photographs and see the airship. McCann is a news dealer at Rogers Park, and his place of business is near the Northwestern Railway tracks. It is his custom to arise early each morning, particularly on Sunday, kind of like you, Woody, Mm -hmm. to deliver the Chicago newspapers. In his store uh, was a small camera, the property of his son, which a small camera at the time in 1897 was probably about as big as big as a box truck. When McCann sighted the strange object, thinking there would be a little laugh on that. <laughs> when McCann sighted the strange object in the sky, he immediately suspected it was an airship, which had so many of the people talking, which, I mean, that's pretty interesting. Uh, he rushed into his, so- his store, seized the camera, and got a good picture of it. G.A. Overrocker, another abbreviation, uh, who saw the proceeding, suggested a second negative. And the result was a much better negative. Uh, William Hoodless and E.L. Osborne, operator for the Chicago and Northwestern Railway at Rogers Park, saw McCann and Overrocker at the hour named and not only witnessed the photographing, but saw the ship itself. It is, according to the statement of all these witnesses, an invention without wings or sails. All agreed that the outlines of a man could be seen inside. That's amazing to me.
0: you know, and And the
1: fact of that these, you know, you can kind of go, by the way, a lot of this information, um, you know, we really went down the rabbit trail on this stuff. And so mm -hmm. I found a book by Noe Torres and John LeMay called The Coming of the Airships, 1896 to 1899. And it has some fascinating accounts of stuff that is, I mean, it's just, it's wild. And it's, it's a little like Passport and Megogno where it's, Mm-hmm. It, you can kind of, every little chapter. Which is our other big reference book here. Yeah, it's almost like an anthology kind of type mm-hmm. layout, you know. But
0: Now, but, one thing that I kind of noticed when when looking at all these is, and, you know, I think your book is kind of guilty of this, as Password and Magunia certainly is, it's not given to you in a linear timeline. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times when Jacques Vallée is kind of presenting this information, he's doing so based on either uh, some of the similarities between the cases Mm-hmm. or witnessed accounts and, or the differences between them. And they're kind of just like shot out, like a sh- you know shotgun shell. But mm-hmm. one thing that I did find was I think when people, because oftentimes a lot of these news stories would make reference to, quote, the great airship, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think basically from what I can kind of gather, part of that, I think it originated from one of the first accounts is in California in, like, November of 1896. And that's when hundreds of people, and I think you kind of made, mentioned this earlier, hundreds of folks in the San Francisco area saw this, like, huge, elongated, dark object, which mm-hmm. uh, had these, like, searchlights and was capable of flying against the wind. And so I think that was kind of, like, the headlines, right? And so I think when people make mention of this, quote, great airship or the airship, mm-hmm. it's because between January and March of 1897 it kind of vanished. So in that November sort of late fall into, you know, Christmas, we'll say, Mm -hmm. you know, people had kind of seen this thing in San Francisco that probably made headlines, then it vanished. And then all of a sudden, this staggering number of observations kind of Mm -hmm. started happening of an identical object, you know, out in the Midwest and, and all across the U.S.,
1: uh, one thing that I, I actually ran into that same case, and a couple interesting things about that is this was one of, I think this was one of the first that really kind of kind of caught on like the cigar shape, also with this airship. And one thing that th- some of the eyewitnesses noted about this one, and it wasn't this isn't the only one. This was kind of a a fairly common thing is that these airships would come with sounds of partying and singing which is kind of amazing. Oh,
0: man. You didn't hear about any of that? No. You know, again, there's just so many, like, things and details, just crazy stuff started happening that kind of remind me a little bit of other famous cases that I kind of know a little bit about now, like even, like, Betty and Barney Hill, you know. This guy in, um, I want to say, Arkansas, no, 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 hold on. This is kind of known as the Leroy incident because it happened in Leroy, Kansas. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is around, again, I'm I'm only going to say this last time, but this is around the same time period. This is April of 1897. Mm -hmm. I don't want to kind of start every story with that, but this guy named Alexander Hamilton, Mm -hmm. you might know him from the musical. No, different guy. The Alexander uh, Hamilton. He had an encounter with a, again, cigar-shaped craft. Mm-hmm. He said possibly about 300 feet long. It had a carriage underneath. Again, that's not unlike sort of the dirigibles right. that were kind of from the time period. Mm -hmm. but this carriage that it had underneath it was made of glass or some sort of transparent substance he said that's
1: straight up jules verne kind of steampunk almost it was brilliant brilliantly lighted uh within and everything was plainly visible he said that he could see six of the
0: strangest beings he'd ever seen he could hear them apparently i don't know how low this thing had to be but they were jabbering together but he couldn't understand a word they said upon seeing the witnesses these pilots in this craft turned on some unknown power and the ship rose about 300 feet above them it seemed to pause and hover directly over this cow you know which was kind of freaking out or whatever and he noticed that there was like this thick half inch red cable Hmm. uh, fastened in a slip knot around the cow's neck and what yeah dude so in other words they noticed that the cow was kind of going crazy they go mm-hmm. down to where the cow is, or a heifer, as he oh, uh, yeah. makes reference to her. Mm-hmm. And he notices that there's this cable that's, like, tied around her neck and almost like a slip knot around her neck. And they try to get it off, and they can't. And he says that we cut the wire loose and stood in amazement to see the ship, heifer and all, rise slowly, disappearing in the northwest. Oh, man. He was so frightened he couldn't sleep that night. So rising early the next day... He went out by horseback, hoping to find some you know, sort of trace of his cow. He didn't find any, but he kind of came back in the evening and one of his kind of nearby neighbors, I say nearby, three or four miles away from where he lives, this neighbor found the cow's skin, legs, and head in the field the next day.
1: Dude, I did not even think <laughs> about any sort of association with you know, you think of mm-hmm. 80s, 90s cattle mutilations mm-hmm. being linked to UFOs and, like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that kind of stuff happened in the 60s, too. I mean, again, oh, yeah. passport Magonia,
0: there's a bunch of stuff about that. Like, there's one that was, like, a horse named Snippy in yeah. the
1: late 60s. In, that was a uh, big one, yeah. But, then but I mean, there's, like- this is far before that, so that's that's mm-hmm. really interesting if yeah. if it was truly... um. You know, I mean, to me, it kind of sounds like, and I mean, not to like kind of shoot that down, but to me, it almost sounds like because a lot of these have the same thing if they have like a like a, almost like an anchor hanging mm-hmm. down by like a rope, and it would make yeah. sense if it's like a blimp that, hey, drop the anchor and it's going to kind of keep them in place so the wind doesn't right. drift them off, and so maybe this little anchor, you know, accidentally grabbed this cow and just you know dr- you know drug it along until it. Mm-hmm. Well, listen to this. Speaking of accidentally dragging, this guy named Robert Hibbard in
0: Sioux City, Iowa. You know, Mm. that other one was in Kansas. This is now Mm -hmm. in Iowa. He's a farmer that lives about 15 miles north of Sioux City, Iowa. Again, this Mm -hmm. is 1897. Hibbard Mm. not only saw the airship, but an anchor hanging from a rope attached to the mysterious craft, caught his clothes, and drug him several dozen feet until he fell back down to earth. Wow. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so it's
0: like, it's not just cows. This dude got wrapped up in this thing and got drug
1: for a while. I, I just picture this dude, this farmer, like in his like coveralls or overalls, mm-hmm. leaning down to like, I don't know, spread like seed or something. And this hook, you know, this anchor just kind of latching on the back of his overalls and just, just carrying him away. Just. Mm-hmm. One thing that Jacques
0: Vallée kind of makes this cool observation is is that the thing that really kind of begins to separate this apart from things in that time period to kind of what these people are seeing is the maneuvering that it does. This is when it begins to actually kind of connect to UFO sightings in in more modern times and present day. Mm-hmm. You know, it maneuvered very much in the way UFOs are said to maneuver, except the airships where we're never really seen flying in formation or anything like that. Usually, these airships flew, relatively speaking, slower and more majestically Mm -hmm. than the more modern stuff. But there are a few cases where it reported to kind of depart, quote-unquote, as shot out of a gun. So just
1: vanished like that. Mm -hmm. You know, you were talking at the the top of the show about, you know, the last episode, our hands kind of being tied a little, because we didn't want to get into this flap, you know, so we wanted Mm -hmm. to keep it kind of with the Aurora. Well, I do have to say this, and I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm burying the lead a little bit, but uh, we're also going to be doing another episode here soon that revolves around, I mean, I guess it's a case of the Sonora Aero Club. Mm -hmm. Um, And so some of these, you know, not to get into it, but like some of these cases, I think, kind of point in that direction. So, and what what I mean by that is, you know, with some of these cases, it really is sort of like a line drawn down the middle. So you you have, on the one hand, you have some of the accounts where this thing kind of slowly comes in, and it, you know, obviously they both sort of have a cigar shape, but I mean, you know, I mean, that could be a blimp. I mean, heck, that could be a disc, you know, turned on its side. This is long before, you know, the fl- actual flying saucer term was, but... Um, you know, there's there's a line, so it's like some of these could, pot, could, could be dirigibles, could be technology that is just a few years beyond what is sort of known, you know. But then on the other hand, there's these other ones that, you know, with these sort of beings coming out or just these bizarre kind of way, way, way beyond sort of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just think it, it's important to say that, that like I do believe that some of these probably are sort of linked to humans and a technology that is advanced, but not crazy advanced. Yeah, in fact, like some of the
0: accounts where they had like an interaction with the pilots or the operators and they engaged more than just like, like they actually engaged in a conversation really reportedly were kind of indistinguishable from the average sort of American population at the time. Like mm-hmm. for instance, For instance, this guy named Captain James Hooten. He's like a well-known Iron Mountain railroad conductor at the time. He Mm -hmm. was in Texarkana and really kind of pretty early in the morning, I think, heard this sound, almost like an air pump on a locomotive, again, something that he'd be familiar with. He went in the direction of the sound and there in this like open space of about five or six acres, he saw this object that was making the noise. And he says, "To say that I was astonished would be feebly expressing my feelings." I decided at once that this was the famous airship seen by so many people about the country. Mm-hmm. There was a medium-sized-looking man aboard, and I noticed that he was wearing smoked glasses. Mm. He was tinkering around what seemed to be the back end of the ship, and as I approached, I said, "I was too dumbfounded to speak." He looked at me in surprise and said, "Good day, sir." And I asked, uh, "Is this the airship?" And he replied, "Yes, sir." It. Whereupon Three or four other men came out of what was apparently the keel of the ship. A close examination showed that the keel was divided into two parts, terminating in the front like the sharp edge of a knife, mm-hmm. while the side of the ship bulged gradually toward the middle and then receded. So again, cigar shape. There or, were three large
1: wheels, or a plane from the side. I mean, think or a jet. Yeah, yeah, true. Pointed. You know? I mean,
0: it sounds aerodynamic, no matter what. Mm-hmm. There were three large wheels upon each side, made of some bending material, and arranged so that they could become concave as they moved forward. I beg your pardon, sir. I said, the noise sounds a great deal like a Westinghouse air brake. Perhaps it does, my friend. We are using condensed air and aeroplanes, but you will know more later on. Dude, that is amazing. And then, someone called out. One of his crew said, "All ready, sir." And all the party kind of disappeared below. He says that he observed that each in front of each wheel, a two-inch tubing began to spurt air on the wheels, and they commenced revolving. The ship gradually arose with a hissing sound. The aeroplanes suddenly sprang forward, turning their sharp end skyward. Then the rudders at the end of the ship began to veer to side to side, In less time than it, than it takes. Oh, he says, and the wheels revolved so fast
1: that one could scarcely see the blades. In less time than it takes to tell you, the ship had gone out of sight. Wow. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. And what's funny is that's also, that account is also noted in this book, uh, The Coming of the Airships, and they kind of draw the comparison to the way these guys looked is almost like Men in Black, you know, not the Will Smith, Tommy Lee Jones version, but kind of the Nick Redfern, you know, sort of bizarre, weird, slightly otherworldly, but, like, always sort of somewhat advanced.
0: Here's another one, like, so this one happened in Hot Springs, Arkansas. This is a testimony from the constable and deputy sheriff, okay? They're riding out, and they hear these sounds and, and see some lights. They stop their horses to watch this craft coming down, and all at once it says it disappeared behind another hill. So about 100 yards in the distance, they saw two people moving around with lights, and they kind of drew their guns and mm. he got closer and they said, hey, who is that? What are you doing? It says a man with a long, dark beard came forth with a lantern in his hand. And on being informed who we were, proceeded to tell us that he and the others, a young man and a woman were traveling through the country in an airship. We could plainly distinguish the outlines of the vessel, which was cigar-shaped and about 60 feet long, and looking just like the cuts that have appeared in the paper recently. It was dark and raining, and the young man was filling a big sack with water about 30 yards away, and the woman was particular to keep back in the dark. She was holding an umbrella over her head. The man with the whiskers invited us to take a ride, saying that he could take us where it was not raining. We told him we believed we preferred to get wet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Asking the man why the brilliant light was turned on and off so much, he replied, "The light was so powerful that it consumed a great deal of his motive power." He said he would like to stop off in Hot Springs for a few days, take some hot baths, but his time was limited and couldn't. He said they were going to wind up in Nashville, Tennessee, after thoroughly seeing the country. Yeah, that's, that's crazy, amazing. man. And so there's just like a ton of these. A lot of them are kind of similar. There's more about things getting drugged by like either a rope or. The potential, like sort of anchor, mm-hmm. uh, in Texas, these witnesses saw a ship kind of fly over their church or whatever, and the anchor somehow got caught on this blacksmith shop and ripped off part of its uh, roof or whatever. Mm. All right, here's another account that talks about like where they made contact with the with the operators or the mm. the occupants of these ships. These folks uh, were awakened about one o'clock in the morning by an unfamiliar noise. When they looked out, they saw this object in the West. Instantly, he says that he thought of that wonderful airship that has mystified so many people in the past few weeks. They, the mysterious fire kind of paused and gradually descended within a few feet of the ground and only a short distance from these folks' yard. They see an elderly man, a woman, and two young men on board. The old gentleman wore a heavy set of dark, silken whiskers, which hung down near his waist. They said he had jet black eyes and a deep, firm expression. He said that he walked out to this guy and, you know, kind of called out to him. The old man seemed a little surprised when he spoke, not expecting to see one, anyone out at that hour of night, but he spoke pleasantly. And after taking on a supply of fresh well water, mm-hmm. he said, Well, you seem to be a very clever man, and if you will promise not to divulge my secret in a way to do me harm, I will tell you the whole story, except how the effect is produced. After receiving satisfactory assurance, he continued. He said, now this is just where it gets kind of crazy, dude. He said, quote, you remember about 26 years ago? What is now called the St. Louis Republic was then the St. something. The article actually gets, it's not legible. Mm -hmm. Um, He talks about how it was changed to something else. And he says that... an account of the scientific invention was made by a gentleman whose name I will not mention, by which the laws of gravitation were entirely and completely suspended. He was offered big sums of money for it by several syndicates in this country, and also large offers from parties in Paris, London, and other places. During the time he was considering these offers, he was taken violently ill, and after lingering a few weeks, died, leaving his invention in the vault. This man was my uncle, and he had partially confided the secret to me, but not sufficiently for me to do anything without the original invention. After the lapse of about 19 years, I managed to secure the original, and having plenty of money at my disposal, and having devoted my time and talent, I have an airship which is almost perfection. But I'm not quite through experimenting, so I continued to travel at night to keep from being detected. I will make an attempt. Here we go. Listen to this, man. Perk up here. Turn that volume up. He says, I will make an attempt to visit the planet Mars before I put the airship on public exhibition. Wow. Weight is no object to me. I suspend all gravitation by placing a small wire around an object. He talks about how he has like a four ton improved Hotchkiss gun on board and t- 10 tons of <laughs> ammunition. He says he was making preparations to go over to Cuba and kill out the Spanish army if hostiles had not been ceased. But now his plans are to change and may go to aid the Armenians. Wow. I mean, that's pretty advanced. He says that he, he, yeah, he ends it with, he said he must be off before anyone else was disturbed and invited Mr. Harris, the witness to take a ride with him. But he kindly declined the offer. He bade Mr. Harris do, and floated up and drifted away to a place among the stars. In a few seconds, was hid behind the darkness of night. Now, a couple things I noticed there. One, they had stopped to get water, uh, which is kind of like a common
1: thing that, mm-hmm. you know, we've kind of talked about. Two... Which, by the um, way, could possibly link to a hydrogen-based... Engine? Engine, yeah.
0: But listen to this, dude. This is what kind of struck me as I was reading it. earlier. When we were talking about John Keeley. Mm -hmm. and the fact that he kind of invented this stuff about 15, 20 years prior to this. Oh, yeah. This kid references this person as his uncle who invented some sort of Mm anti-gravity mode of travel, and then he fell ill and died. I mean,
1: to me, it kind of sounds like, oh, man, was this the John Keely stuff? I mean, that's pretty interesting, yeah. I mean, that's what's interesting is there's so many of these you know, the name, if you really kind of start looking into it, the name Wilson kind of shows up a lot. And this, this links to, like I said earlier, in a future episode about the the Sonora Aero Club, you know, there was a, a figure in that club supposedly uh, named Wilson. And so there's several accounts of people seeing these people come out of these airships basically. And, you know, they give the name Wilson, which is, so yeah, so maybe it's kind of the same thing. Maybe it's Maybe it was Keeley all along a couple of the other connectors between them, um, so there was like sort of like the
0: long whiskered or bearded characters mm-hmm. in the Midwest and elsewhere in eighteen ninety seven the request for water from a well, and then sometimes what they called like blue stones or other similar things
1: um, one thing let me get into before we kind of draw that sort of comparison about uh, you know some of those commonalities with like the water thing this was just. Again, this is this is a case from the book The Coming of the Airships, but this is pretty fascinating and to me this leans into the, you know, possible sort of ET kind of thing instead of just like a, another dirigible. It says one of the most incredible of all airship entity sightings came on November 25th, 1896 near Lodi, California. While traveling in a horse-drawn carriage, Colonel H.G. Shaw and Mr. Camille Spooner saw three very tall beings standing alongside the road. In the distance beside behind the creatures, a huge cigar-shaped UFO hovered quietly over a body of water. Uh, in an article in the Stockton Evening Mail, Colonel Shaw said, Looking up, we beheld three strange beings. They resembled humans in many respects. Uh, still, they were not like anything I'd ever seen. They were possessed of a strange and indescribable beauty. Uh, Shaw added that they wore no clothes, but that their bodies were covered by soft, fine fuzz. Which is like, mm. is that like a like a wetsuit type thing that you you know you hear a lot of these accounts of them wearing these like full body kind of suits you know and at that time they would have you know that would have been pretty foreign to them Uh, they were seven feet tall in height and very slender i noticed further that their hands were quite small and delicate and that their fingers were without nails their feet however were nearly twice as long as those of an ordinary man though they were narrow and the toes were also long and slender i noticed too that they were able to use their feet and toes much the same as a monkey. In fact, they appeared to have much better use of their feet than their hands. So it's like, mm. you know, it's just one of those weird kind of... I just wanted to add some contrast to the fairly earthbound, you know, mm-hmm. sightings, of uh, that there were also some of these that are just kind of bizarre, sort of alien, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, even like the potential chupacabra yeah. incident,
1: right? Uh, yeah, it, it appeared in, uh, well, it was written about in June 16th, 1896, in Hightower, Kentucky. You know, it, this creature, it was hairless. It would walk upright. It sort of had pinkish gray skin. It was kind of also thought to have killed some livestock in the area. You know, it's funny to read at the time the the, the newspaper article from the morning news is talking about this creature stalking the woods around the hamlet of Hightower, uh, located south of Lexington. It's funny because they kind of, they just think of it as like a, a a demon or something Mm. sort of linked to like the, the Christian kind of based mythos of like, oh, well, it's, it's, you know, something from the pits of hell.
0: I mean, literally we could spend sort of hours. Yeah. A lot of these Eyewitness accounts have such detail and stuff, and I encourage all the listeners to kind of go in and and try to find some of these and read about them because they're so fascinating. And like I said, there are some that have some characteristics that you you can kind of connect between them, but there really Mm -hmm. is sort of like this divide in a way Mm -hmm. that seems like, oh, that's clearly like it could definitely have been these folks interacting with and or witnessing something that they're just not accustomed to that is... Sure, more advanced than they're used to, but not necessarily more advanced than, you know, what would allow for the time. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of that. And, of course, there's, like, I would say, like, a margin of error in terms of whether or not they're witnessing, you know, its size and and how fast, you know, their their observation could be inaccurate or exaggerated. Mm Mm-hmm. But Which I'm sure there's several of those. Yeah. Well, before I go into, like, what I think is going on here, so in this account, this guy named John M. Barclay, mm-hmm. again, late at night, this is in Texas, he, of course, had been reading of an airship that was, you know, had been, um, you know, seen around the area. Mm-hmm. And he hears this, like, he, first he hears his dogs just going nuts, mm-hmm. Okay. And, and it's, it's being like, carried oh. off by an egg. No, Yeah, <laughs> it's got a red rope tied around. No, it he hears this like whining noise, and so he goes outside and he sees this peculiar shaped, sort of oblong shaped craft with wings and mm. side attachments of various sizes and shapes. Brilliant lights again. Mm-hmm. He said when he first saw it, it seemed perfectly stationary about five yards from the ground. It circled a few times and gradually descended to the ground in a pasture adjacent to his house. Of course, he grabs his Winchester. Oh, yeah. And went down to investigate. And as soon as the ship or whatever um, kind of touched the ground, the lights went out. He said that the night was bright enough for a man to be distinguished several yards away. And within about 30 yards of the ship, he was met by just a normal looking guy who asked him to lay his gun down and no harm was intended. So Mr. Barclay said, now, who are you and what do you want? The guy responds, Never mind about my name. Call it Smith. Mm. I want some lubricating oil and a couple of cold chisels if you can get them, and some bluestone. I suppose the sawmill has some bluestone that I. It says, I suppose the sawmill hard by has the two former articles and the telegraph operator has the bluestone.
1: But literally, what is bluestone? No stone? idea.
0: Might as well be talking
1: in Japanese. Not, well, not sure. You know, I wonder if that means like coal. Maybe. Which is he like says, carbon based, which would. Yeah. He says, uh, hey, here's a $10 bill.
0: Take it and get us these articles and keep the change for your trouble. Mm. Mr. Barclay said, what have you got down there? Let me go and see it. The guy who wanted to be called Smith says, no, cannot permit you to approach any nearer, but do as we request and your kindness would be greatly appreciated. And we'll call you sometime from on a future day and reciprocate your kindness by taking you on a trip. Mm. Mr. Barclay went and procured the oil and cold chisels, but he could not get the bluestone. They had no change, and Mr. Barclay tendered him ten another bill. He he brings him the oil and the cold chisels and asks him from and where was he going to be going. He replied that he was from anywhere, but he will be in Greece day after tomorrow. It's crazy. He got on board, and then that whirring noise, that whining noise that he had heard, started up again. And then as he kind of expresses it, it was... The craft lifted up
1: and then left like it was shot out of a gun. Mm. Uh, I just looked up bluestone, and it says, bluestone is usually a kind of sandstone or limestone if it originates in the United States. Specifically, hmm. North American bluestone is usually quarried in Newfoundland, Pennsylvania, and New York. Hmm. Pretty interesting. Weird. Mm-hmm. Um, now and why to this so why would he need that, you know? Yeah, no. Now listen to this uh, account,
0: man. And... I think this is a perfect way to kind of wrap it up. Okay. Because I need people to understand something. Even though, like we said many times over, thousands of witnesses, hundreds of occurrence, you know, events or whatever between 1896 and 1897, something that you'll figure out pretty quickly in Password to Magonia is these kind of sightings have been going on throughout time mm-hmm. in this time period, but then certainly before and certainly afterwards. So Jacques Vallée mentions this because of similarities here and you'll, you'll see why in just a second. But this happened in Kent, England. An acre from a, quote, cloud ship became fastened in a mound of stones in the churchyard. The people heard voices from above and the rope mm-hmm. was moved as if to free the anchor, but to no avail. A man was then seen sliding down the rope <laughs> and, cut it, and cut it. In one account, he then climbed back aboard the ship. In another witness account... He died of suffocation. Mm. Now, that's crazy in and of itself, but this happened in 1211 A.D.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's amazing.
0: That's what I'm saying. It's just nuts, man.
1: Yeah, that's All incredible. right. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, I've just, uh I went down this rabbit trail on Bluestone, Bluestone. And, and it keeps getting, like, just listen to this. Procelli bluestone has a strong connection with the electrical impulses produced by the human body and has a particularly strong connection with the heart. Again, this is like a little new agey, but uh, bear with me. Uh, Bluestone clears the heart center and strengthens the electrical workings of the heart. It improves electrical communication throughout the body, which in turn serves to balance and strengthen the immune system. The electrical connection does not stop there, but helps us to link into the electromagnetic field of the Earth itself. Okay, man. So that's kind of amazing. Yeah, dude, especially if that's what's used to like power right. it or, you know. Yeah. Man. That's pretty cool, man.
0: At the end of the day, I'm sure, like myself and Tyler, you're probably thinking, well, what does it all mean, Basil? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, what? what is it? What's the answer? And I think, unfortunately, the answer is... Well, we don't know, <laughs> you know, but there yeah. there are a couple different directions that you can take it. Obviously, my favorite would be Your time account. travelers. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, it's <laughs> potentially people that have figured something out, you know, in the future or near future where they can go back in time.
1: And well, well, for example, like not, the, oh, go ahead, sorry.
0: I was going to say whether or not the craft actually do look like that or if it's some sort of like, cool like cloaking technology because Mm -hmm. i mean something that jacques valet and i want to make sure we mention it before we end today like something that he talks about in his book is something that he calls the functioning lie and essentially you can kind of go into the psychology behind when a human witnesses something Mm -hmm. there are like mechanisms in place that really kind of deal directly with your perception okay right via Like, your brain transmitting the signals that your retina is
1: picking up. Mm-hmm. Basically, Basically that your, your mind wrapping around, like, what exactly. am I seeing?
0: Exactly. And that is based, and it's interesting because as individuals, we're all going to perceive things in different ways based on our own history, right? Mm-hmm. And so the data that we have within our brains kind of determines yeah. the way that we perceive an event or details about the event. Mm -hmm. so Jacques Vallée is kind of saying hey human actions are kind of based on imagination belief faith and not necessarily on objective observation and he's basically saying perhaps these airships like kind of the fairy tricks which we'll talk about in another
1: episode but Tyler I know you're familiar with well that's my favorite thing that and that's that's a big Jacques Vallée thing that he sort of yeah
0: it's kind of saying that like these flying saucers the things that we all kind of see together are so well engineered in its image that in our human consciousness we basically we're seeing it's kind of like when you go back and you read stuff like ancient texts Mm -hmm. like the bible or events from long long ago Mm -hmm. they're going to describe it's a ball of fire well what does that mean well it could just be like it has a lot of lights on the outside of it it's bright Mm-hmm. because they're not used to electricity, you know? Yep. And I think when someone says, hey, this is cigar-shaped, you can kind of, like, remove sort of the blimp aspect to it, smooth mm-hmm. out a couple edges, and you've got yourself a saucer. Yeah, just just you know? you're viewing it from
1: the side. Exactly. Yeah, w- one thing that um, that I find kind of interesting, and it's a little bit of a parallel and a little different, but bear with me, is, like, if you go back to the Bible, you know, we our perception of... Angels, you know, culturally now we think of like little chubby babies with wings or, or you know, basically men with wings and in robes. But in the Bible, they're actually far more weird. Uh, like the Ophanum of, is like a class where it's, you know, w- wheels within wheels, you know, with all these eyes. And so they're a pretty scary aspect to angels. And so anytime they would appear in the Bible to, other humans or characters in the Bible, they would say, fear not. I am the messenger of God or or, I am the angel of the Lord. And I kind of feel like that same sort of idea of like, hey, I'm going to show up and I'm going to say, like, don't be scared. You know, you take that far into the future and just a a modern version of that is, hey, well, I'm just going to cloak myself as this other thing that they, that their, the, you know, that their primitive minds can kind of handle. You know, and I think you had said when we spoke before the episode is, is you know, I think uh, Jacques Pelé mentions this is the idea of it being like a cloaking technology and what better way to uh, sort of cloak itself or it's sort of like a chameleon is, hey, I'm going to make this super futuristic craft, you know, look like a dirigible or just a balloon because the people of the time can at least sort of handle that, you know? Mm, mm -hmm. You know, we could go on for days in this stuff. And if you really go down the rabbit trail, you're going to find, you know, some similarities, but also a lot of sort of widely varying accounts. I mean, there's one where a guy claims to see what looks like Adam and Eve inside this airship, just a naked man and a woman just standing there. Uh, Mm. There's... Other ones where you see these creatures come down and so they're just they're all over the map. But the one characteristic that they all have is they're all really fascinating and really pretty out of place for the time. And that's why I think, you know, ultimately we decided to do this episode because it's just it's pretty fascinating. And it's it's uh, it's just such an interesting juxtaposition of, you know, high technology you know, compared to what they were accustomed to at the time. You know, this would just be so foreign to everybody. And oh, so, yeah. like, frightening, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just crazy. And
0: I'd kind of completely forgotten about it. Um, our buddy, one of our listeners, Matt and that lives in Australia, who recently bought Password in Magonia, said, hey, man, you guys should talk about this. And that's what's like, oh, yeah, man, holy smokes. Because, you know, you end up reading so much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That you kind of it, it all kind of just gets like bogged down in the layers of memory with yeah, there's all a the lot. stuff that you want to talk about on the show, you know. And I really love that you know, the Aurora crash was just one of the multiple occurrences. Oh, yeah, that that happened during that time period.
1: Which, again, by the way, you know, I, I kind of gave my uh take on it and what I believed it was, but you know, we said it uh, sort of earlier in the episode that we both believe that there's sort of, you know, two camps of this is like the super futuristic, maybe, maybe they're time travelers, maybe they're extraterrestrial, whatever, you know, interdimensional, multidimensional. And then there's the other more sort of mundane, terrestrially based, you know, maybe a few years in the future kind of tech. And so I'm still, I still land pretty firmly that the aurora crash was you know here we go folks put the gloves on we waited so long
0: as promised that we were going to fight about this (laughs) so i remember you said that you thought they were completely separate incidents i think so and that whatever and i say i don't believe so i think that
1: i don't know i think
0: it's all part of like it's all part of the same like thing maybe there's like multiple pilots flying multiple ships all around and he or it just happened to crash
1: man mm-hmm. I don't well know. yeah 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 i i believe that but but i think i think this one is planted firmly on the camp of extraterrestrial alien. Yeah. and alien or or, or, or future out of something what just thought of
0: something what you got now what if you and i you know 10 years from now that would be mm-hmm. rad is you know still still being listened to we're still doing it mm-hmm time travel gets invented and then like what if this is like a self-fulfilling prophecy here man where because we've heard about this crash we're the ones that go back in time to try to see it happen and so we're flying around because we missed you know mm. the, you know we didn't land in the right time so we're like oh well, now we got to fly around and ask for bluestone we're mm. just buzzing around I mean I mean that's that could pretty that's awesome like a, a, that that uh, kind of went into the, the
1: random land, but <laughs> well, like we always say, we are we're super happy with our growing fan base and our growing that would be rad family, and uh, you know we're still trucking along with uh, Camp Rad Strangeness this summer, and uh, we pr- <laughs> we promise we'll uh, we'll get back into monsters and, and aliens and and all that, but you know this is just such a fascinating thing. We just, we couldn't resist. Woody, where can we be found online? Man, I like that you're switching it
0: up this week. Yeah, Folks, the best place that you can interact with us on a daily basis is on our Instagram account. Mm-hmm. You can find us there. That would be rad. We love getting messages. You know what we also love? I also love seeing like all the listeners interacting with each other. That's mm-hmm. just the most amazing thing ever to me. And that's really the best place to do it. Now, we love getting episode ideas, but we also love hearing about stories in your area. Because no matter where you are in the world, as as kind of we've talked about <clears throat> over the last couple of weeks, whether it's in the Philippines or wherever, there's a lot of folklore and stuff that we don't have access to and we might not oh, yeah. know about. Mm-hmm. So if you have something interesting that's either happened to you or members of your family or some specific folklore that you want us to talk about on our show, or even just a specific topic, you know, Send us a message on Instagram. If something's mm-hmm. happened to you and it's a little bit more long form, you can write us an email at thatwouldberadpod at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Or mm-hmm. you can even send us a voice memo
1: and be a part of the show. We'd love it. We're, uh, we're currently collecting, uh, you know, we sort of have an archive. Some of you gracious folks have sent us stories and, and accounts of things that you've encountered. And, uh, yeah, the more the merrier. So, you know, even if you think it's random... And or or even something that's like really short and not too involved, but just slightly off the beaten path, we'll take them.
0: We always say that we're just so thankful that you take the time out of your busy lives to listen to our show. It's something that really kind of continues to blow our minds because basically, you know, we're two guys that want to talk about a bunch of random stuff, and the fact that people out in the world, all around the world,
1: mm-hmm. listen to us week after week. It's just amazing to us. Yeah. So with that being said, as we always say, we appreciate you, we thank you, and as always, Be Rad.
0: That's the way you go.
1: Wait, how did you say it last time? It was a little better. You said like find out today on this episode of That Would or something. Oh, yeah. Find out today.
0: Find out today. Mm-mm.
1: Find out today No. Oh yeah. Find out on today's episode
0: of That Would yep, Be Ready. Perfect.
1: Perfect.